I love the Word of God because it addresses every kind of situation that we can ever face. And while this subject I don't consider as important as the one of being a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ that we considered this morning, it does have its place. I want to deal for a few minutes with a money-begging preacher's that fill our television. For those of you that once in a while for spiritual entertainment turn on the two religious stations that we have in Greenville, you can see these money beggars boldly coming up creatively with new ways to beg money out of widows day after day after day. This is nothing new. I want to show you that the Word of God's known about it from the beginning and the Word of God deals with it and I want to show you that there's a Bible answer and just use a current event to trust, to turn us, to trust the Bible, because the Lord deals so thoroughly with everything you're ever going to encounter. Amen. We have a senator from Iowa that's to be commended for responding to all the complaints he gets from his constituents about tele-evangelists using religion to beg money out of widows' pockets so that they can live in mansions and drive Mercedes and fly their own... Learjets. And so this Senator Grassley has asked that the six largest televangelists and their ministries in this country provide him with audited statements of their revenues and how those revenues have been spent. And so it's been in the press. The Word of God has a lot to say about it. If you read Micah chapter 3 last night, you saw that there's a whole chapter in the Old Testament about priests and prophets that wouldn't do anything for the people unless you stuff something in their mouth. They did it for hire. And it says they did it for hire. And there's a whole lot of them that are taking so many blinded and ignorant Christians for a ride, a financial ride, that they never get to the end. They just keep giving and they keep giving. The examples and the excesses are so many. I could have brought a screen. We could have played some videos. You know, if you go home and click on the YouTube uh, link that I sent you yesterday, you can find many more links that you can read or listen to of these money beggars. They want you to sow a seed. Do you want to reap a harvest in your life? Then sow a seed in my ministry and you can reap. The bigger the seed, the bigger the harvest. I know there's some out there in TV land right now that are thinking a thousand. Can you think bigger? Can you think ten thousand? And on and on they go in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. They don't know the Jesus of the Bible. I'm going to get ahead of myself, but I've only got a few minutes. I want to tell you about the Jesus of the Bible. When men came to him and said, we want to follow you, he said, the foxes have holes. And the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. If you want to follow me, I don't have a place to stay. And they're staying in mansions. What a difference. They don't know the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible, when he met a group of them, he sat down on a park bench outside the temple and took himself a wooden handle and got himself some leather and made himself some leather thongs and tied nine of them into that wooden handle and made himself a cat of nine tails. And then he walked in among them and whipped them 
and drove them out of the temple and kicked their tables over and said, you've turned my father's house of prayer into a den of thieves. That's how Jesus dealt with televangelists of his day. He had more to say, but we need to get to that in time. There's a whole lot of things going on. Oral Roberts University is about to go under. That's or- Oral Roberts was one of the first faith healers. Richard Roberts, his son's been running it for the last 20 or 30 years. It's $50 million in debt because Richard Roberts, Oral's son, and his wife have taken the endowment fund that was made for students and are spending it on themselves. Mike Murdoch's my favorite. If you want to watch some guy that can sit there with his goatee and tell you about seeds all day long and then do it again tomorrow and then do it again the next day. The television and Internet have provided these hucksters to allow them to get into all sorts of homes in many places. A few, four points. Let's quickly go through them. I'll just give you a few of the references that the Bible has. The Bible deals with this subject at length. Because the Bible is designed to give us, to free us. And it frees us from religious hucksters that use religion for financial gain. Do you remember who the first false prophet was in the Bible that worked for hire? Balaam. We have Balaam recorded for us in Numbers 22, 3, 4. And he's mentioned three times in the New Testament as an example of a prophet for hire. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, there's Bible answers for all this, and we want Bible answers for them all. There is no place for a Christian to feel sorry for or to be nice to tell evangelists. Did you read Psalm 15 this morning? A man that's going to stand with God, in his eyes, a vile person is contemned. So when you listen to Benny Hinn begging money, or Mike Murdoch, or the others, you should contemn them in your eyes. You should despise them, because God does, and He wants us to. Psalm 15 taught us that. Look at Second Peter 2, as it mentions Balaam. It says about these false teachers that Peter warned about, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with man's voice, Forbade the madness of the prophet. There he is in Second Peter. He's over. He's in in Jude as well. He's in the book of Revelation. Balaam. You know the story. Eli's sons. Eli's sons had two sins. One, they took gifts that were for God, and they slept with the women that came to offer offerings in the tabernacle. In First Samuel chapter two. Look at Micah chapter three and verse five. The point we're making right now is men have long used religion for financial gain. If you believe that a man can bless you spiritually, or in the ultimate degree, if you believe a man can get you to heaven, you would be willing to pay that man anything to get you to heaven or to get your relatives to heaven. Until you've seen a poor Catholic widow buying candles. Ever seen any? Buying masses, buying indulgences, etc. You cannot fathom the wickedness of men who use religion for financial gain. Read Charles Chinookway. The little French boy in Quebec. Very, very, very poor. But they did have a cow from which they were able to get milk. And Charles Chinookway's father died. 
And here comes the priest up the road. And his dear mother asked the priest if he would be, do the funeral for her dead husband. Only if you'll pay me. But father, excuse my use of that word, but father, I have no money to pay. Well, I see that cow out in your field. I'll take it. And so for her to get her, is this true? Did you read, those of you who've read the book of Charles Chinakway, to get his father into the ground, that poor widow had to give up her cow and put that family in dire straits. They have no qualms at all about doing that. They have no qualms about a wife rifling through her husband's wallet while he's sleeping. Is that true? We have that story in our church. Anything to get money. It's not new. Balaam did it. Eli's sons did it. Micah chapter 3 and verse 5 says this. Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err, that bite with their teeth and cry peace. And he that putteth not into their mouths, they even prepare war against him. They act so nice and gentle, but if you don't pay, they're out to get you. Right. How about verse 11? The heads thereof judge for reward, and the priests thereof teach for hire, and the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. They use religion. God's with us. Pay me. Do it in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, sow your seed. And so they fleece the widows and take their money. Look at Matthew 23. Men have used this for so long. Matthew chapter 23. This is the Lord Jesus again. I've mentioned two things about our Lord Jesus. Number one, he didn't have a place to live. Number two, he condemned the money changers in the temple, showing us exactly what he thought of men who use religion for financial gain. But here are his words in Matthew 23, verse 14. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. You scribes and Pharisees that take advantage of widows, you devour widows' houses. You take their last dollar. You take their money. You take the money that was left, the estate that their husband left them, and you devour it. And you, you, you make long prayers to pretend you're religious to get your hands on their assets. You shall receive the greater damnation. Amen. Now, I hope you all were looking at a King James Bible. Because if you didn't have a King James Bible, Matthew 23, 14 doesn't exist. Right. There's Matthew 23, 13, and there's Matthew 23, 15, but 14 doesn't exist. Go get yourself an NIV and check it out. Judas was a thief. The Bible tells us that in John 12, 6. He kept the bag. The bag that was used to provide for them to eat and survive while they traveled around Judea. And it was used to, to provide for the poor as well. But he was a thief. He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. You say, how could that man have ever, after having spent three and a half years with the Lord Jesus Christ, how could he have reduced himself to be bought off for 30 little pieces of silver to betray Jesus of Nazareth. Because there are men like that, right. that have a character that are greedy and covetous, and the Bible warns us against them. 
And our televisions are full of them, and they draw the largest crowds when they visit cities. As people come out to fill those KFC buckets with their money, thinking that they're sowing a seed and they're going to get rich. They're sowing a seed and they're going to bind the devil. They're sowing a seed and they're going to get their marriage back together. They're sowing a seed and their children are going to come running home. We are sorry for ever leaving. And they're told and promised all these things. It's been true forever. Look at Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. The Bible, the Bible deals with this from beginning to end. Money. The love of money is the root of all evil. That was a warning to a minister. Telling Timothy not to be anything like that. Right. Thou man of God, flee these things. Amen. When, it, when it speaks about money in First Timothy chapter 6. Titus chapter 1, look at the Apostle Paul tell Titus. Verse 10, there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not, for filthy lucre's sake. They were in it for the money. They were teaching lies because they were in it for the money. The New Testament warns us about them. Look at Second Peter chapter 2. You're nearby. Titus, Hebrews, First and Second Peter. After James. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. They would make merchandise of God's people. And the way of truth would be evil spoken of. And you know, the world makes fun of Christianity because of people like Benny Hinn, <coughs> Kenneth Copeland, Oral and Richard Roberts, Joyce Myers, and the rest of them. The world makes fun of Christianity because of these hucksters. The Bible told us that. I want you to love the Word of God. Amen. You're not going to encounter anything in life the Bible hasn't already dealt with. Right. Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. Amen. And it's true. And what we see is that Christianity is being ridiculed because of these wicked men that are in positions of influence, claiming to be Christians, that are nothing but money beggars. It reminds us of what we read in history of a man named Johann Tetzel, who in the 1500s walked through Europe because he was the friar of indulgences for all of Germany. And he said, as soon as the coin into the coffer rings... The soul from purgatory springs. Well, you know, if you believe there was a purgatory and you could spring a soul, you'd be dropping some coin. Right. And if you go to a Catholic church, you'll see the coin being dropped for candles. The coin being dropped for masses. It's a fee-based system. It works well for them. Men have long used religion for money. So what does the Bible teach us? How do we protect ourselves from that? Look at Exodus 18. Exodus 18, let's go all the way back, then we'll go all the way forward quickly 
and see that God has protected his people. Exodus chapter 18. Moses was supposed to, this is by God inspiring Jethro to give him some great wisdom. Moses was to choose some other men that would help him rule the nation of Israel. Here's these men that he was to pick. Verse 21. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men. Here's their character trait, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, hating covetousness. They don't want any more than they've got. They're content already. They're just wanting to serve the nation of Israel and serve God because they fear God, love truth, and hate covetousness and place such over them. Look at the conditions. Fear God, love truth, hate covetousness. It's a condition way back in Exodus chapter 18. If anyone had ever required this of those money-hungry guys that are on television, they wouldn't be in the office. They wouldn't have any influence. And if people read their Bibles, they wouldn't go and attend some place like that. But it's constantly talking about, give me a seed. Give me a seed. You know, the only one getting a harvest from those seeds are the men asking for the seeds. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Sorry for the hesitation. I'm cutting and slashing. 1 Timothy chapter 3. You know, the Holy Spirit does emphasize some things by repetition. And I want you to see that New Testament servants of the church, bishops and deacons, are told four times that they cannot be given to filthy lucre. To be given to it means to love it, to want it, to be obsessed by it, to be concerned about it. We find the word given regarding wine, not to be given to much wine or to be given to wine. That means to love it, to be concerned about it, obsessed or addicted or prone to it. We are told to be given to hospitality. I'm trying to help you understand the word given. If we're to be given to hospitality, that means we're to love hospitality, be prone to it and do it. Here we go. First Timothy chapter three, verse three, speaking of bishops, the pastor teacher, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of Filthy lucre. Not greedy of filthy lucre. Filthy lucre is money. The Bible's terminology for money. It's called filthy because it's the root of all evil. Verse 8, for deacons, likewise, just like the bishop, likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. Turn over a few pages to Titus chapter 1 where the qualifications for a bishop are given again. Titus chapter 1, verse 7, the last five words, not given to filthy lucre. Last five words of Titus chapter 1 and verse 7. 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5, where the elders that feed the flock of God and take the oversight thereof are exhorted by Peter, who was also an elder. He said to do it willingly, 1 Peter 5, 2, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Four times. The New Testament warns bishops and deacons and warns those ministers qualifying bishops and deacons not to take men that are given to covetousness or greedy or given for, to filthy lucre. The warning right there in the Word of God to protect His people. You know, the Apostle Paul told Timothy, listen, having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Those are words from Paul to Timothy. Of all men, 
That should be true of the ministry. Paul to Timothy. Having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Let us not be ambitious for building estates or building houses like others. And the main criticism of these televangelists is the enormous multi-million dollar estates they live in. And look what Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. And the, the rules for New Testament ministers is having food and raiment to be content with the basic necessities of life without ambition beyond those things. And the words, the love of money is the root of all evil. And they that desire to be rich fall into temptation and into many foolish and hurtful snares. That's for Timothy, primarily. Applies to all men, but that's Paul to Timothy in a pastoral epistle. And he says, thou, O man of God, flee these things. But follow after. And he tells them what to flee and what to follow. And that followed upon 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5, where it said, false teachers think that gain is godliness. These men measure their ministries by the revenue, the numbers, and the growth of those numbers. It is pure business to them. It's just like a man would measure his business by revenue and numbers. How many pieces are going through? And Paul said, no, gain is not godliness. Godliness with contentment is great gain. What a different religion. If you listen to them, they are preaching the whole time. Getting ahead and getting rich is godliness. God wants to make you rich. Over and over they say that. Why don't they teach verse 6? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Listen, today before I close out this broadcast, I just want to tell all of you out there that are poor, all those of you out there that are about to have your home foreclosed, I just want to tell you that with Jesus Christ, you are rich. And you can be content in Him. God bless you. (laughs) You've never heard anything like that. It's all those of you out there that have debts. Sow me a seed and they'll disappear. All those of you that have a broken home, sow a seed and your spouse will come running back. And they'll tell one testimonial or two testimonials and get everyone worked up. The Word of God tells us and saves us from such stuff. Look at Acts chapter 20. Our brother Paul, what an example he was. Acts chapter 20 and verse 33. As he addressed the elders of the church at Ephesus, he told them how he had preached to them and warned them. But then he added three verses about his financial dealings. Acts 20 and verse 33. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, Ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And who's Paul saying did did the giving instead of the receiving? He did. He did. When was the last time you saw Mike Murdoch quote Acts 20.35 and say from now on, I'm not going to ask for you to give. I just want you to write in so I can know where to mail the checks. I'm going to start giving. They don't do anything like that. They haven't read the, they're not submitted to the Bible. They're false teachers. They're false prophets. The Bible makes it so clear. Jesus was of such a different character and Paul was of such a different character. I've never coveted silver, gold, or anyone's apparel, and you all know it. 
Because I worked hard among you, I provided for my necessities, and I taught you all things and I lived it. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And Paul had that character and reputation with them. Godly giving does work. Godly giving does work. And this is not, this is just part of dealing with the subject of giving. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. You know, when they say, sow a seed to me, and you'll reap a harvest, they give promises that no man can fill. And the Bible doesn't promise. God may, God may give you riches in some other area of your life. God may bless you elsewhere. Would to God he would bless us spiritually while leaving us in poverty physically. Which would you prefer? If you prefer to be rich physically and of a lean soul spiritually, you've got your priorities messed up. The God of heaven is so infinitely wise, he can be operating on your life for a hundred different ends. Right. And one of them may be financial blessing, and he may know that it would be better for you right now to have the financial or employment rug pulled out from underneath your feet. And he is able and willing to do that for, to try your faith to make you a better Christian. All at the same time while you're giving. So you can't always measure by results, but you do have promises in the Word of God that all other things being equal, giving faithfully to God results in financial blessing. But hear me how I qualified that, because I want you to be wise in the Word of God and not thinking that these are blanket promises you can just pull out and dangle that I'm going to get rich in the next 12 months because I'm going to give. If you're giving out of greed, you might as well not give. The Lord wants a cheerful giver that gives for his sake. He wants someone like David. Okay, Lord, you know what the most, most men today would say if, if the Lord told them, don't worry, I don't want you to build me a house, your son will do it. Whew, what a relief. Man, I thought that was going to set me back financially for a while. That temple was a big project. I'm glad I don't have to do that. That's how most men would react. When God told David, your son's going to build it then I'll pay for it. Is that a different spirit? That is David. I'll pay for it. And so David spent the rest of his life gathering all the materials that Solomon put in to that extravagant temple. Is it ever right to waste your money? Only in one place. (laughs) I'm using waste this way. Is it ever right to waste your money? It's to throw it toward God. And I didn't say me or Mike Murdoch. I said toward the Lord. David built the Lord a temple. No one else benefited by that temple except the Lord. He gave it to benefit the Lord. Proverbs chapter 3 is so simple. Verse 9, honor the Lord with thy substance. That's why you give, to honor the Lord. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. That's, I love, that's a good proverb. And it works. And those of you in here who have practiced it consistently knows it works. Even though you may from time to time have a few financial setbacks while the Lord's teaching you faith because He's got more than one, one operation working on you at a time. See, He's a little bigger than a one-track mind. When He looks at you, He's not a one-tracker. He's got many tracks. Remember that. We give because we want to honor God. We do not give as an investment. If you are giving as an investment, your heart's in the wrong place. You're giving to honor God, and you're giving to repay Him for what He's done to you for you. Isaac said, Lord, if you'll be with me, 
No, it wasn't Isaac. Why didn't you tell me that? It's Jacob. Jacob said, Lord, if you'll be with me and go with me and be my God, I'll give you a tenth of all you give me. Notice, it's to repay. It's not an investment. Hear me out. We give to honor God and we give to repay what he's given. That's why it comes off of current income, not future income. You don't know what the future is. Now, having said all that, he turns it into an investment. But you don't give to get rich. You don't give to get ahead. You give to honor God and to repay what he's done for you. He'll take care of all those other promises. If you don't give, the Bible says you rob God. If you rob God, he's going to blow against you. You're never going to get ahead. Some people reason this way. I'm too, I can't afford to give. I'm going to give as soon as I'm making another 10 grand a year. Couple problems with that. You're likely never to see the 10 grand. And two, by the time you see the 10 grand, if you see it, you'll have forgotten your promise that you made way back there when you weren't having the 10 grand. Give to honor the Lord and give to repay Him for what He's done and let Him take care of the rest. You've read Haggai? Haggai chapter 1, those Jews came back from Babylon to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. They wondered why they were working so hard, not getting ahead. The Lord said, because I'm blowing against you. I'm blowing against you. You sow much and you reap little. You have holes in your bags so that when you put your wages in, they fall out and trickle away. And there's not enough money left at the end of the week. Consider your ways. You have built your houses and you didn't build my house. If you'll build my house, you can mark your calendars from this day forward. I will bless you. The whole book of Haggai. It's wonderful. Mark your calendars. It's winter time. No one can forecast what the harvest is going to be like over this coming summer. This is the Lord speaking. Mark your calendar. You're going to be buried in increase. Because they had stirred themselves up and went and got wood and started to lay the foundation for the Lord's house. And then a few chapters later, Malachi chapter 3. If you'll bring your tithes and offerings into the storehouse, try me. You know how we say those words. The Lord says them. Try me. I dare you to bring your tithes and offerings into my storehouse. I'll open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing you can't receive. Those are the promises of God. We believe in those promises because the Bible has them. But I just told you how you get them. You give to honor God and you give to repay him for what he's already done. You don't give it to get rich. They're seed and harvest stuff. Let God take care of all that. Glorify me by building my temple. It wasn't just a pure mathematical relationship. There was a spiritual element there of giving to please the Lord. Remember the rule, remember the order of our giving. We give first to our poor family. We then give to the poor in the church. This is after supporting the Lord's work. I'm going back to what I taught you when the tsunami hit the other half of the world. We give to the family poor, the church poor, other churches, and then to those people that God providentially puts in our path. The Lord makes it very clear in the Word of God. When you turn the television on and see some nation on earth that has chosen to live for 6,000 years on sand, and they can't provide a living for themselves there and they're starving, that's just too bad. They should have moved north, south, east, or west instead of trying to eke out a living on sand. 
Nowhere in the Bible are we told to have a ministry for any such kind of people. Not one sentence, not anywhere, nowhere. And it's a false burden put upon people. Because when they can show you all those little pictures of a baby with a fly crawling across its eyeball, you're going to pull out the checkbook, but you're going to pull out and write big. And when they tell you, if you'll just send us a hundred bucks, we can feed 20 more, just like little baby here, for the next month. I mean, you're writing checks every night. And they just take the 90% off the top, and once in a while they buy a little food for baby. Can you think, can you give me a verse from the Bible? How many times did David take a collection for the Philistines? How often did Joseph raise money for the orphanages of Egypt? How often did Jesus take a trip down into Arabia to find some moon worshippers down there and start a home for unwed mothers? I'm not being cruel. I'm being biblical. Do you know what unwed mothers get supported? Repentant ones in the church of Jesus Christ. Only. Do you know what orphans get taken care of in the church of Jesus Christ? Or individual ones God puts in your path in your ordinary course of business? Because we have the internet now, or the, and television now, you turn either device on, you're shown poverty and needs all around the world, which wasn't even visible before. But nowhere did they make a trip. The good Samaritan did not tell his wife, I'm going to take leave of absence. I'm going to go across the Mediterranean to Turkey, and I'm going to go around looking for poor people. And as soon as I find some poor people, I'm going to give them some money. That wasn't the good Samaritan. The good Samaritan was going to work that day. And he was going to work hard, and the Lord put a wounded Jew in his path. Right. And if the Lord put someone in our path, we help them. We do believe in charity. The Bible tells us to give in secret. Matthew chapter 6, we don't want to be ever givers in order to be seen or praised of men. And yet at the same time, it's a privilege of the ministry to sometimes commend those that are big givers because they should be commended because they create an example for the church of God. Did Paul ever do that? Did Luke ever do that? Did Luke write Acts chapter 4 about a guy named Joseph Barnabas who having land sold it and brought the price and gave it to the apostles? Does Paul commend Philemon? Does John commend Gaius? All those men gave, and they're commended. I just want to be, remind us of some of the things the Bible teaches us about giving. You know, there's that amazing passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6. You want a real harvest for giving? Then give to glorify God. Give to repay Him for what He's done for you. Give to take care of poor brethren. And in so doing, thou shalt lay up for thyself a a good foundation against the time to come and lay hold on eternal life. I love that passage so much. Why don't they preach that in invitations? Because it tells how to get eternal life. Instead of having an altar call, let's have an offering call. If you want to go to heaven when you die, come forward and drop a hundred bucks in the plate. Because that's what the Bible teaches. Because righteous men give, and righteous men give generously. Exhort them that are rich, that they be not high-minded and trust in uncertain riches, but that they are willing to distribute, ready to communicate. For in so doing, they may lay hold on eternal life and lay up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. That's the truth of God's Word. Can you believe what 
Do we believe in a sovereign salvation? Did we sing today that when we get to heaven, there's going to be shouts of sovereign grace? Did we love that? And at the same time, we want to be giving to take care of God's people, to take care of God's ministry, to glorify God and to repay Him for what He does. And if He gives us anything or not, that's His choice. We're not doing it to get rich. But one, he, he tells us the greatest harvest of all. And it's not a harvest in this life. It's eternal life in the world to come. Where the king is going to say to those on his right hand, Inasmuch as ye did it unto the least of these my brethren, ye did it unto me. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. We want to be as careful as the Apostle Paul was in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He said we provide things honest in the sight of all men. If you were to read that chapter, you would find out that Paul was taking a collection from the church at Corinth for the poor in Jerusalem. And he did not want anyone to even think that he might be taking a 1% commission finder's fee on that money. So he sent three brethren. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 spends much of its time listing three brethren and how they had exceptional reputations in the churches, they were going to come to Corinth, they were going to take their offering, and they would take it to Jerusalem so that that church could know he wasn't taking a dime of it. Now, how's that for full disclosure? I'm not going to touch it. They're going to touch it. Beautiful. That's the Word of God. Deacons were ordained. When there's a lot of cash flow going on in church, the apostle said, it is not our business to be taking care of tables. And in this problem of serving widows... Our duty is the word of God and prayer. Therefore, we need to ordain seven deacons and we will appoint them over this business. Because it was a business. Taking cash in and distributing cash to take care of widows so that the Greek widows and the Jewish widows were all taken care of fairly. Brethren, God's revealed his will in all these matters. Much of the religious world is taken advantage of by these hucksters. Especially women and especially widows. Especially those that are sick. Because they all want to get healed. You get someone sick and you fake a few healings on that camera. And you look into that camera and then you say, I know that there's someone sitting out there who's got kidney stones. And if they would just sow a seed, those stones would disappear. And out comes the checkbook. Brethren, the word of God has saved us from so much. There are millions subject to that kind of stuff. On and on it goes. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God. We must keep to the old paths, as old as Exodus. Fear God, love the truth, hate covetousness. Not given to filthy lucre, not greedy of filthy lucre. From one end of the Bible to the other, Jesus was, a, was of exceptional character. Paul was of exceptional character. We want to follow them. And if men would just read the Bible and, tr- and submit to it, they'd be saved from false teachers that take advantage of them and use religion for financial gain. Lord, thank you for a precious word.